The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm uh, Matt Tebby, joining you once again, uh, joined by my friends Christy Penley. Hey, Christy. Good day. Good day to you and Ben Sternke. Good day. I almost said the inestimable. <laughs> inestimable. Inestimable. You can't estimate me. Right. <laughs> Don't even try. Don't even try to estimate me. Yeah, if you would have tried before Ben spoke, you would not have estimated that he would have spoken in a C-minus British accent. Yeah, it, it was. A, it wasn't even. Yeah, it was just sort of a uh, an exuberant. I was just seeing what was going to come out. I was going to try to be more exuberant than I felt. Good, and just see what happens. So, uh, just seeing what's going to come World out. Cup I've been watching. Just seeing what's going to come out. Uh, and riding on exuberance describes eighty nine percent of my life. Just so mm. y'all know, it's <laughs> yeah. basically how I live. Um, mm. Ben, you mentioned the World Cup. I did. Christy, you watching the World Cup? Love it. So fun. Yeah. I wish it happened like more often. (laughs) Are you, are you rooting? Every seven weeks. Are you rooting for the, are you rooting for the States United as they're called in the World Cup? I sure am. Yeah. Come on, USA. I've never seen that before, but I thought it it gives us an air of uh, distinguished, distinguished sort of, we're a distinguished country. Oh yes, the States United. So. Speaking yeah. of bad British accents. I feel like so. it's I feel like it is an homage to uh Britain because they, they do things with words like that. Right? Uh-huh. They say things like uh noun adjective. What what do they say instead of like seven thirty? <laughs> they say oh, shoot, now I'm gonna forget. Thirty minutes to eight. <laughs> they 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 flip flop they flip flop words like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, me thinking yeah. quietly makes for great podcasting. I, <laughs> uh, I do, I do like the World Cup, and I think Ben, I owe this to you. Um, I used to not care about the world, and now I do, and I appreciate. No, I used to not care about <laughs> soccer. <laughs> I used to not care about soccer um, very much, but I've started watching it. And my son played, and you know, uh, Ben likes uh, English Premier League, and I now mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, it the, I, the same story for me, man. Like it, it took a little while watching it for me to appreciate how the game works. 
Um, cause you know, the trope, the trope for Americans is that it's boring, you know, like how could a game that ends nil nil be exciting? But there, and there are some boring nil-nil games, but there are some really exciting nil-nil games where there's a lot of chances, there's a lot of action, and so, hmm. it, but it does. It took me just sort of watching my son play soccer um, when he got to the age where he could actually make passes, and you know what I mean? Like, there, there was actually some, some of the soccer game going on on the pitch where I was like, wait a second, this is kind of interesting. So, so yeah. did neither one of you play? I never your, played your, soccer. Your no. kids oh. just play. Oh, I played. Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. I, I played, played soccer up, as a kid? Up until I was 12 at the YMCA. <laughs> and uh, okay. I, I, never I was a good little kicker. All footballer. Right. But you know what, Christy? It wasn't... When I, where I grew up uh, in, southern, uh, in the southern suburbs of Indianapolis, there were only three sports. Basketball, football, and curling. No, baseball. <laughs> and <laughs> and that was it. And so you just didn't play soccer, like or volleyball. Yeah. And now, now, like you know, thirty years later, it's exploded. Like soccer's mm-hmm. everywhere. And it's do great. you know yeah. my claim to fame? Have mm. you heard my soccer story? No. What'd you do? Oh, I got to tell you. All right. So, I mean, I grew up playing soccer from when I was very little, and played all through high school. And um, my the summer between my senior my junior and senior year of high school, I went to Jamaica on a mission trip, and we were really building part of a church and working in an orphanage. But part of it was that there was a soccer team, and that was actually honestly what drew me to wanted to go on that particular trip. And so I applied and got in, and I got there. And my coach, like I went to the first practice, and the coach is like, "This is an all guys team." <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? What? And I don't know if he just thought like he just saw Chris or didn't understand Christy or I don't know, but he was like, this is all guys team. And I'm like, well, I, I play. Like, I was like, not going to take that as an answer. Right. And he was like, no, you, you really can't play with us. And I'm like, why not? Like, I just, anyway, pushed and pushed. And a lot of their games were like in like uh, prisons and all that kind of stuff. And so okay. I couldn't go to those, but oh. there were some games that were just in like neighborhood stadium type things. And so there was this one particular game. The coach didn't really like me um, and didn't think I could play. And so I was like, coach, put me in. Coach, put me in. It was like a a movie, you know, like I'm on the sideline. Like, come on, coach. Finally, he's like, all right, go in. It's like almost like halftime. And he puts me in and I get tripped in the box within like 30 seconds of being in there. I'm the only girl. We're playing against a semi-pro Jamaican team. Oh, wow. And so – the, did you, did they call it? Did they call? Oh the, yeah! The oh, penalty? they called yeah. it. They yeah, so, line up the ball. Listen, and the listener, captain of my team. Oh, go, sorry, go ahead. just to explain, listener, if you don't watch soccer, that means that you get a penalty kick if you get if yes. you get fouled in the box. You yep. get a penalty kick, which you know most of those go in. So, all right, go ahead, Christy. Right, and so <laughs> most of captain, those go in. <laughs> most of them. I mean, you know, I don't know what the <laughs> percentage is, but like that's like a big that's like that's a big that's a big deal, you know, getting a penalty <laughs> kick. That's like. Oh man! Eighty ninety percent conversion. Well, there, right there I was, you know, four foot eleven against a six three semi pro Jamaican keeper, and my the captain of the team comes up to me and he's like, "Back up, <laughs> back up and run harder." And so I like backed up further to like run and kick the ball, and 
upper right corner, missed, totally got it in. The keeper missed it, and I scored, and they went crazy. And they yeah. put it in the newspaper. Like, oh it was in the goodness. newspaper that it, this little American girl scored against the, the keeper. It was so fun. Uh, it was, like, my, my only claim to fame, though. The I love blonde. that they let you take the, the, the penalty. Oh, I know. That's fun, too, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. That, that's so That's so fun. That that so, warms my heart, Christy. A blonde hair, blue eyed, little Jamaican hero. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. That's cool. I knew you played soccer, um, yep. but I didn't. I didn't know about that story. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Anyway, I love watching, um, like, uh, kind of like what you're describing. I like watching World Cup because I like watching the little underdog teams playing yes. these teams full of like superstar professional athletes, and it's just you know. They should never be on the same uh, pitch. Did I get that right, Ben? Yeah, pitch. Okay, pitch. They should never be on the same pitch together. But uh, That's the word for field. But. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Uh, but they, <laughs> I need a glossary for this. Listener, <laughs> listener, I've got your back. I've got your back. Non-soccer watching uh, listener. Anywho, I got you. Um, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about World Cup this morning. Also thinking about how much I appreciate you too, and the time we get to spend together every week. Yeah. It's so fun. Woo-hoo. Yeah, this is good. Um, well, we're getting to the end of the year. It's be, uh, be, we're quickly approaching 2023, and we are doing a little uh, something here at the end of the year that we're inviting our listeners to participate in, and I will let mm-hmm. Ben say more about that. Yeah. It's our partnership campaign for 2023. We are seeking to raise some money uh, to help us uh, in 2023 to continue the work uh, that Gravity's doing. Um so yeah, you can go to gravityleadership.com slash partner to find out more about it. But um, donations help us to offer scholarships uh, for people who want to get into our coaching uh, but can't afford it. And so it makes it more accessible for people right now, especially in this time of kind of vocational and economic instability for a lot of people. Um, we would also like to write another book in 2023 and um, donations help to kind of provide margin for us to be able to do that. Um, the book is going to be about the grace and truth matrix, if you know what that is all about. Um, and then, uh, just to create a little bit more stability for us at gravity so we can kind of think creatively about what God's calling us to do in the future. So anyway, all that, if you want to participate in that, um, go to gravityleadership.com slash partner, and we appreciate any donation you can give. Heck yes, we do. Woohoo! Heck yes. All right. Well, we mm-hmm. have, uh, J. Richard Middleton today on the yeah. podcast who is uh, talking about his new book, Abraham's Silence, Mm. which is a rereading of the Genesis 22 account of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And it's awesome. It's Mm -hmm. awesome. And and I I would love to hear from you, listener. We do um, several kinds of podcasts. We do podcasts about the Bible, kind of like this one. We do podcasts about broader theological topics. We do podcasts about leadership. And then we do podcasts about cultural issues. I would love to hear from you. Uh, what you, what what turns you on? What lights you up? Like, what do you enjoy listening to? Um, why do you listen to our podcast? So let us know at podcast at gravityleadership dot com. Um, yes. In this coming year, we're going to do more podcasts, just the three of us, and I'm super excited about that because we've got a lot to say. If you didn't know already, with this uh, 84 <laughs> minute intro, uh, but. Uh, but we won't stop doing in, in interviews like this because it was uh, really profound and generative. I thought. Yeah. 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 I'm excited too, just to uh, keep learning from people and then sharing those learnings and conversations with y'all. Um, 
yeah, but also to to do a little bit more generative content um, development ourselves in mm-hmm. the coming year. So All right, be fun. well, oh, that's the alarm. We got to go. That's telling the, me I got to take my kid to school. That's Christy's got to take her go. kid to school, <laughs> so that done. the intro is over. Christy's watch tells me what to listener. do. All right, buckle up, Buttercups. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Dr. Richard Middleton joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. He's Professor of Biblical Worldview and Exegesis at Northeastern Seminary at Roberts Wesleyan University, and the author of several books, including The Liberating Image and A New Heaven and a New Earth, as well as co-author of Truth is Stranger Than It Used to Be and The Transforming Vision. Today, he joins us to talk about his newest work, Abraham's Silence, The Binding of Isaac, The Suffering of Job, and how to talk back to God. Richard, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much, Matt. It's really wonderful to be here. Well, I'm excited uh, about this book. Uh, This topic came up in a conversation. I'm leading a learning community with Gravity Leadership through a book we wrote, and Genesis 22 came up as as a passage that people just don't know what to do with. And I think that your book is a, a creative, faithful exploration of what to do with it. And I, I am excited to introduce our readers to not only you, but the the substance of your proposal. But first, you share in the beginning of this book, Richard, that um, wrestling with these questions came out of kind of a personal story. Um, can you share a bit about that experience and then how that led to you yeah. writing this book? So I've had two, I'd say, crises that <clears throat> generated my theology. And the first, was I was younger, in my 20s, and it was a sense that I was not going to go into pastoral ministry, but I was in a theological seminary. So I needed to ground my sense of vocation in something bigger than just the call to pastoral ministry. That led me to think about the goodness of creation and being in God's image in the world and the vision for that. But then, so that, that generates a very positive vision of what you can accomplish in the world as a human being. And then later in life, from my 30s, I went through a time of darkness where I seemed to have made some either mistakes in my life, in my life um, choices or circumstances, um, you know, hit me in such a way that I had to drop out of a PhD program I was in. I was in a place where I had no friends. I just moved there and I was lonely and I was depressed and I'd stopped praying. And then I looked around for what could I do in this time of darkness. And I found a program of biblical studies I could commute to. And I took my first course on the Psalms. And I did a presentation on Psalm 88, the most despondent Psalm in the Bible. And believe it or not, working on that Psalm reawakened my faith to believe that I could call on God in my time of darkness and that God had presented model psalms in the Bible, which are prayers from the pit of despair that I could use to shape my own prayers to God, even when I didn't have the words. And so I learned that lament prayer in a time of darkness, without any clear sense of where it's going to go, can reawaken your faith and bind you closer to God than you ever were before. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Psalm 88, that's the one that ends, darkness is my only friend. 
right? Yes. Yeah. My closest <laughs> friend. Yeah. <laughs> that one always Depends makes me laugh. Translation out. you use. Yeah. 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 It makes me laugh out loud. That one because I'm like I'm like okay okay we're done with the psalm and this is okay we're at the pit we're at the we're at the bottom here. Yeah. So yeah, I want to explore this more, Richard, because really this book is a reclamation of lament as. Uh, engagement with God, as faithful engagement with God. Um, but there's, there is a like popular notion that it's wrong or sinful to be angry with God, that to question an all-holy, all-powerful God is, mm-hmm. is a sign of faithlessness. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, I'd, I'd, give, I'd attack that two prongs. <laughs> Prong one is by looking at what petitionary prayer is in the Bible. Prong two is looking at examples of people who were angry with God. So let's take petitionary prayer. You know, you, you, someone you know is sick, and you pray for them. Have you ever thought about what that speech act of prayer is really about? You're saying, God, you're not doing what you're supposed to. I want you to heal this person. Who are you to even pray to God and ask for something that God's not doing? Isn't God sovereign? Isn't God omniscient? Mm-hmm. Does he know what he's doing? So petition or supplication, or in the case of, you know, on, on behalf of another person, we call it intercessory prayer, assumes that you know better than God what God should do. Now, I think what's really going on there is that we are holding God to his own promises for what he wants to do in the world. So we're calling God to say, this is what you, we know you're like. You're the God who wants healing. You don't want death. You want life. You don't want suffering. You want joy and fulfillment. So, Lord, please act in accordance with your character and your promises. So you're calling God back to that. So lament is simply, as I call it, supplication with an edge. (laughs) It just takes supplication a little further and and says, not the complaint is not so-and-so is sick or I'm in a place of, uh, you know, of discouragement, Lord, could you help me? It's saying, Lord, you're not doing your job. <laughs> What's going on? So imagine to start a prayer to God, not with, oh, dear Lord, you are always right in everything that you do, but to start with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does God forsake people? So lament prayer, like petitionary prayer, comes from a place of honesty. This is what I'm going through. I'm not saying it's theologically correct. I'm not going to write a systematic theology book, God abandons people. But if I feel like God's abandoned Mm. me, God allows me to say to him, why have you abandoned me? And through the prayer, and maybe through the the fulfillment of my request, but maybe not even there, maybe just through the prayer, I have a sense that God hasn't abandoned me because the creator of the universe has listened to my cry. Mm. So that's, that's petitionary prayer. But then I go to examples in the Bible. You could be angry in a lament prayer. You don't have to be angry. It doesn't have to go to that extreme. They're not all as despairing as some of them are. Even Psalm 88 is not really angry. It's more just despairing. But, you know, um, different writers in the Old Testament and different, different actors in the narratives cry out to God in anger sometimes and challenge God. And my primary examples are Moses, In Exodus 32, after the golden calf, Mm. when God says, Moses, these people have broken the second commandment. They've made an idol. I'm done with them. Covenant's over. I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you. You're the new Abraham. And Moses says, you're not going to do that, Lord. First of all, you're going to get a bad reputation with the Egyptians. You got to finish what you started. Imagine telling God that, right? So he's holding him to the promises. And then he says, Lord, it's me and Israel together as a package deal. If you want to get rid of them, get rid of me too. I'm not starting over with you. <laughs> and he challenges God, and he actually uses the final uh, petition. I'm going to quote the King James Version. 
repent of the great evil you had planned to do. Now, modern translations, change your mind or relent about the disaster you were going to bring on Israel. The next line says, the very next verse, and the Lord repented of the evil he was going to do, or the Lord changed his mind about the disaster. Immediately, God said, okay, I won't do it because you prayed. So you know this line in James, the, the, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much, is the King James Version, right? It, it, God takes us, the human dialogue partner, so seriously that when Job challenges him for so many chapters and all the friends say, stop talking like that, it's not right to talk to God like that, at the end, God comes from the whirlwind. And the first thing God says is, look, you misunderstand who I'm running the universe. And Job says, okay, I won't talk anymore. And God says, all right, let me tell you about two monsters that I created, Leviathan and Behemoth. The main criterion of them is that they got big mouths and nobody can tame them. You get the hint? And I like them. They're good monsters. And Job understands. And Job says, I am comforted about being just dust and ashes because I've been heard by the creator of the universe. And there's prophets who do the same thing. And I could go on and on. And, mm -hmm. you know, Abraham does the same thing in chapter 18, challenges God. And God ac accepts every single challenge he brings. But Genesis 22 stands out like a sore thumb because he yes. doesn't challenge God. But yeah, but so they, the, the response to the question of should we ever be this angry with God or challenge God is the Bible portrays that as a standard way people pray. And if I, if I had time, I'd go into Jesus and his teaching about prayer and the parables about prayer, the unjust judge and the friend at midnight are all about grappling with God and saying, God, this is what I need. Mm -hmm. And God says, your heavenly father is good. He will give you what you need. Just ask, knock, the door be opened. Yeah. yeah. And now a word from a sponsor. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let's get back into our conversation. So um, maybe we can double click on Genesis 22 then for a second, because there, there is this contrast uh, that you highlight uh, in, in the book, um, you know, between what you've just talked about, this faithfulness of lament, and, you know, this is all over the scriptures, but especially in Job, where Job is uh, complaining, you know, and, and saying, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't disobeyed you, I haven't, you know, 
and you know all of his friends are like you must have because this is how you the this is how something. the things work you know and so um, but anyway so you you contrast that with Abraham's silence um, and I think you know most of us have been taught that Abraham's silence was his was a result of his faith that oh God gave him a command and so he's he's going to go do it and that's that's a a manifestation of right. um, his obedience and his and his faith um, you know and you you. You know, there's a contrast there between um, Job protesting and Abraham's silence, and so I, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that. You know, what are some of the theological and exegetical issues with Abraham's silence, and maybe uh, problematize whether or not it's uh, faithful for him to stay silent right. in that moment? The the traditional interpretation. There's there's versions of it, but the pop version I got in church was <clears throat> when you're going through difficulty. Accept it from God and submit because it's God's will. <clears throat> and they use, some people will use Abraham's silence as an example of that. There's much more nuanced versions of it in the Jewish tradition and in some Christian theology, but it's still, they valorize Abraham's silent submission. He trusts God that whatever's the outcome, um, it's okay. Well, there are lots of issues going on. When God says, Abraham, take your son, your only one, whom you love, Isaac. I don't take whom you love as an, a, a propositional description to say you love Isaac. Because when you read the Abraham story, almost all biblical scholars will say, it's clear Abraham does not love Isaac. He loves Ishmael. The very reason Sarah wanted to send Hagar and Ishmael away is because she thought Isaac was going to get the inheritance. I'm sorry, Ishmael is going to get the inheritance because Abraham favors him. And Abraham is very upset when Ishmael is sent away. He is very distressed about the boy, we're told. And he prays to God, please remember Ishmael. And God says, I will remember him and bless him too. But the line will come through Isaac. So I think that when God says, take your son, your only one, you love him, don't you? I take it as a, as a little hint to Abraham. Do, do you really love this kid? Show me that you love him. And if I receive that kind of commandment and God wants me to show my love for my son, what will I do? I will intercede for him. Dear Lord, this cannot be what you want. First of all, I know that you're not the kind of God like the pagans who desire child sacrifice as a sign of, of commitment. That's the first thing. But you want me to do this to my own son? He's done nothing wrong. Why would I kill him to show my dedication to you? And what's it going to do to Sarah? Because this is the boy she loves. She's going to die, if not physically, at least inside. And then what will he do to me to live the rest of my life with the trauma of flashbacks and nightmares that I cut his throat? And that's the last thing my son is going to see is his father slitting his throat? That you can't want this. That should have been Abraham's response. That would have been a faithful response. In fact, the same way Moses appeals to the prior promises of God, that God wants to make Israel his people. And so he says, you can't destroy them because you've got to follow through what you promised. Why couldn't Abraham have said, Lord, you promised my descendants to come through this boy. I'm going to hold you to that promise. Do what you promised. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> or as he said in his earlier prayer on behalf of Sodom in chapter 18, will you, swipe, will you wipe, wipe away the innocent along with the wicked? This boy is innocent, Lord. May, will, the, will not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? Why couldn't he have prayed that? There's absolutely no reason. So I think for lots of reasons, 
it's an unusual thing that he is silent, and I think it's not the typical way someone should pray. Now, I got lots more exegetical detail to go into, but I don't want to overwhelm you, but that's how I'd start. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a different starting place. Interesting. You you ask a really fascinating question in your book, and um, and I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on this, but you kind of ask, like, is it permissible to criticize God? Because uh, I think we're all taught, no, we can't do that. And so I'd love for you to double click on this and just yeah, kind of yeah. share with us your thoughts on that. Yeah, when I ask that question, it's in a chapter where I'm looking at the history of interpretation, particularly starting with the Jewish interpretation. And there are two traditions of Jewish interpretation of this question. One says you, it's perfectly legitimate to criticize God. And there are many biblical examples. There are even many post-biblical examples of Jewish scholars and rabbis and so on affirming that you can criticize God. In the what we call the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, there are examples of that also. But by the time you get to the early Middle Ages, there becomes a tendency in Judaism to say, no, you can't criticize God. In fact, if you criticize God, you'll be judged for it. And this, this, there are two streams of interpretation. Now, the Christian stream of interpretation never really addressed the question of can you criticize God. It tended to just assume that uh, the, I mean, it's really hard because most Christian readers of these narratives of someone criticizing God don't read it literally. They read it allegorically, and they pull the teeth of the text. But I suggest that many, many examples in the Bible show someone telling God what, they, what God should be doing as if God doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. And that's a criticism of God, an implicit criticism. Um, you know, let's, take, let's take Job, for example. Job chapter 7. It's the first response he gives to Eliphaz in the first speech cycle of speeches in Job. And Eliphaz is telling him, look, you know, human beings are just like moths. God doesn't care about them. God's a flame. He'll just wipe them out, destroy them. We're earthly vessels. We're, we're, we're corrupt. God couldn't care less what we say. And Job dissents from that by saying, look, God does seem to care what I say because he seems to be targeting me. <laughs> he's, he's causing me pain. And Job takes Psalm 8. What is a human being that you're mindful of him? And he, ter he turns it ironically and sarcastically on God. What is a human being that you spend so much time focusing on me and causing me pain? Leave me alone so I might swallow my spittle. That's what Job tells God. Hmm. God says at the end of the book of Job in chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, or is it 7 and 8, to Job's friends, y'all, plural, have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. All of Job's criticism, and he's the, the most vigorous critic of God in the Bible, is viewed as right speech. Why? Because you don't have to say what is theologically correct in your prayers. God can handle people who get the theology wrong, but you have to be honest to God. When you're honest to God about what you're going through, you're treating God as if he's really your intimate father that you can bring anything to. If God was really an abusing, power-hungry deity, like some people portray him, some of these you know, um, atheists portray him, then you should be so scared of God you would never, ever criticize him. So if you love your parents and your parents are treating you badly, you say, Dad, what you're doing is not right. This is not right. But to say that requires such trust in your father. It's radical trust. So that's why I think the Bible suggests that 
quote-unquote criticizing God, as you put it, is a fine thing to do if you're doing it because you are calling God to act in accordance with the character that you have come to know. It means you really trust God. Yeah. That is fascinating. I actually just taught youth groups, so a bunch of like junior high, high school kids on Wednesday, and we were talking about this very thing. And I, at the very end of my lesson, I had a huge chalkboard, and I had written up there, trusting that God loves me, I wonder, dot, dot, dot. And then I encouraged the kids to come up and to write. What are the questions that they have? What are the doubts that they have? What are the, in this case, criticism of God that you have? And let's be honest, because if we really believe that the God of the universe, the God of the cosmos loves us, then there is this freedom that we can be radically honest with our questions and our doubts. And I'm not sure that church as a whole has welcomed that. And I want to create the space. I wanted to. I mean, I did create the space for these kids to do that. And and then to see this board fill up with things like, I wonder why my parents got divorced. I wonder why my mom died of a heroin overdose. I wonder why my friend just attempted suicide. And I mean, it was filled with radically like honest questions and prayers. And I think that's what that's what you're saying is that is welcome. God says yes to that. And um I think I think we need to practice that actually more in the American church. That's wow. a good word, Christy. Um let, let me let me stop here and recapitulate a bit, Richard, just to make sure that we're all tracking. Um you're your book puts forward one one significant shift is we often take Abraham's silence as faithfulness. And you're saying that the record of revelation we have in scripture, uh, it would have been it would have been expected for Abraham to talk back, to push back, to question, to interrogate, and he didn't. And there's indications in Genesis 22 that the narrator, the person who's writing this story, is subtly critiquing Abraham. Am I am I tracking with you? I think so. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and and so then we we actually have to flip this around. Um, you know, um, <laughs> you know, the psalmist another place says, "Don't be like the mule that needs a bit and bridle to be led around." Right. So God isn't looking for like quiet, uh, submissive minions. Mm. Mm-hmm. but rather these agents that push and stretch and call upon God to be the God he says he is. Mm-hmm. How does how do we understand then the la- the second part of that story yes. Yes. in light yes. of this? So it's interesting. So that this is the two speeches from heaven that the angel of the Lord brings to Abraham in response to when he goes to kill his son. And the first speech is to tell him, well, Abraham, Abraham calls him twice because he's so upset. And in fact, the Hebrew that follows that is ungrammatical. The, Abraham, this, the angel is talking so fast, he misses Hebrew grammar. It's the only place in the text that something's missing there. And, and Hebrew scholars know this. He's saying, stop, don't do anything to the boy, don't touch him. And Abraham stops. He looks around and he sees a ram caught in a thicket. I can t- talk, Let me talk about the ram caught in a thicket before I go to the second speech. That's the more difficult speech, right? So. The, he, I mean, the angel says to him, you know, stop, because now I, now I know that 
um, you know, you, you want to obey God, you're submissive to God, and you've not withheld your son, your only one, and he leaves out the phrase, whom you love. Because hmm. it's pretty clear that if you didn't stand up for the son, you probably don't care for him that much. Hmm. At least it's an implicit suggestion of the text. Of course, you can't prove that's what it means, right? Now, a ram is a male sheep with big horns. That's where you get a shofar from, these huge curly horns, right? Now, you have a, a male ram with full testosterone caught in a thicket. It's going to be shaking those bushes, man, trying to get out. The fact that Abraham didn't even notice it till after the angel said, stop. Man, that ram been there a long time. God made that ram caught in the thicket as an alternative to killing the boy. And Abraham never noticed it because he was so intent on killing his own son. He told the servants, the boy and I are going to go up and worship the Lord and we'll return to you. Did he believe that? No. Because if he believed that, the moment he got up there, he would have looked around for an alternative sacrifice. He didn't look around. Now, he's to be praised for taking the ram and sacrificing him instead of his son. God never even told him to do that. Good. One point in favor of Abraham. Not a, not a full fail, but not optimal. The angel then says, all right, by myself, the Lord speaking through the angel, by myself I have sworn the word of the Lord. And people say, this is the first time God swears an oath to anybody. Really important. I agree. Because you have done this thing, not withheld your son, your only one, also leaving out whom you love. You repeat the whole phrase there. Therefore, I'm really going to bless you. And I'm going to multiply your descendants. And they're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth because you've done this thing. But he actually has one little line in there that most people don't realize. He says, because you have done this thing and, and I'm going to bless you and multiply your descendants and through your descendants, you know, the, the Hebrew word is your seed. It's a, it's a singular word, but it can mean plural or singular in context. And the seed is of course going to be Isaac and his descendant. Through your seed, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. If Abraham had killed Isaac, how could God have blessed all the families of the earth? So at the end of the angel's speech, when he says, because you have done this thing, I'm not alone. There are Jewish scholars who also say, the, because you have done this thing means because you didn't kill him, because you listened to me saying stop. So the first part is, because you were going to kill him, I'm going to bless you. And people say, but isn't that God's validation of Abraham? And I say, look, it's almost impossible to take away 2,000 years of interpretation, which have so shaped how we view this. So I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but let's assume you never had the 2,000 years of interpretation saying Abraham was to be praised for doing this. And you just read this in light of other scripture. And you know that after Moses intercedes for Israel, because of the golden calf, and God decides not to wipe them out. God then puts the Sinai covenant on an unconditional footing because the people can't keep the Torah. <laughs> so he says, instead of saying, I'm going to love those who love me and keep my commandments, he says, I'm going to show my love to thousands, forgiving sin, open-ended. This transition occurs in other places in the Bible when people sin, it's in Deuteronomy, it's in Jeremiah, it's in Ezekiel. I could go into all that, but you probably don't want to know all that right now. So if you had that pattern and God said, all right, in chapter 18, I said, shall I reveal to my servant Abraham what I'm going to do with Sodom? 
that their cry has come to me? Yes, I will, because I want him to learn the way of the Lord, righteousness and justice, and teach his children and household after him my ways, so that the nations will be blessed. In Genesis 18, it's the first time that the blessing of the nations become conditional on Abraham's understanding of who God is and passing it on to his, his um, household. In chapter 22, God basically says, look, you didn't get it. You're not going to pass it on. I'm going to bless the nations anyway. It's unconditional now. It reverts to Genesis 12 where God promised the blessing on the nations without Abraham's obedience. Biblical scholars will say they don't even notice that Genesis 18 made the blessing conditional on Abraham's discernment of God. So they miss the significance of Genesis 22 where God says, okay, you, you didn't get it. I'm still going to do it because I'm a God of grace. So that's how I read the angel speeches. Yes. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, Go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. Look, I'm telling you, listener, the all three of you listeners. Wow. Uh, well, Christy this, and I are here, so we're listening. So we, got, <laughs> we are. This, is, this, this book is, uh, I think... So one of the habits of reading the Old Testament, and you alluded to this earlier, Richard, that does us a disservice is we read mm -hmm. every story as though it's teaching us doctrine. Mm -hmm. Like there's some kind of, we extract propositional kind of truths from it. So we, you know, and, and some of the caricature of this is people who quote Job's friends, you know, to, to like ascribe doctrine, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but what rather what you're doing is you're saying there is this delicious interaction, this provocative and uh, dislodging interaction that's happening here that needs to be thought about creatively in light of everything we know about who God is. Mm. Um, and, and we, you know, some of our, some of our most, um, you know, Trekkies, right? Star Trek people who go to these conferences and dress up, like they know the Trekkie world. They've got phrases they can say that carry meaning. You know, if you don't, if, if you do a certain thing or don't do a certain thing, it symbolizes a whole world of meaning. And, mm -hmm. and we've got little communities like that in our world that have this deep, thick culture. And I think sometimes we forget mm -hmm. that the Old Testament is really good literature. <laughs> like, yeah. mm -hmm. And the authors are doing the same kind of stuff, but because we've never, like you mentioned, we've never seen a ram in a thicket. It doesn't occur to us that you couldn't not 
see this unless you didn't want to see this mm-hmm. or you were so engrossed in something else. So these little cues we just miss, mm-hmm. and one of the gifts of your book is that you are you are asking questions, opening doors that gives us access to these things mm-hmm. that helps, I think, this text uh, become more alive to us. I mean, that's, that's the work I think this book did for me, and I'm just really grateful, Richard. Wonderful. Yeah, that's what I hope to do with all my academic work. I don't do any ivory tower academic work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there. So, so, so then this book exegetically is this great look at Genesis twenty-two. You touch on Job, but but the heart of this book mm-hmm. is reintroducing uh, <laughs> emotionally constipated Christians to the gift of being right where they really are and trusting that God can handle it. Right. Um, can I make maybe, a comment on that? Yes, the I, comment, would love, comments, I would love the, that. The comment would be that I am not invested in the reader accepting my interpretation of Abraham. That's mm. okay. You can disagree. But if you get reconnected to God mm. through lament, I'm happy. Mm. That's much more important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, We. so the work we do at Gravity... Mm is is uh, we have we use axioms to kind of carry uh, different different truths, different meanings. And, and one of the axioms we use is that um, God is so real, he most fully meets us where we really are. And that and that Jesus rewards ruthless honesty over intelligence or impressive displays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus is Jesus hails people who don't have guile, who answer truthfully to a question. Who confess that they uh, they they have authority, but they don't know what to do here? You know these kinds of things. Jesus just like loses his mind celebrating, um, and I think that lament is an in is an entree into this honesty. Maybe speak a bit about what you've learned about lament, Richard. Help us mm-hmm. help reintroduce us to this prayer language that um, that we desperately need. I'm going to talk about Jesus for a moment. Is that okay? <laughs> so uh, when I was a teenager, my pastor, retired now, um, living in Fort Wayne, Indiana, a wonderful man, um, taught a series on the Lord's Prayer, teaching on one of the petitions each week. And he made this point very clear, and I always remembered it. Every line in the Lord's Prayer is a petition. There's no praise. There's no thanksgiving. It's all petition. Now, the petitions may be God-oriented, you know. Lord, may your name be sanctified. May your kingdom come. May your will be on, come on earth as it is in heaven, you know. All these things. Give us as their daily bread. Um, forgive us our sins and so forth. It's all petitions. When Jesus teaches about prayer, he focuses on us asking God honestly for what we need. The whole thing about knocking, doors shall be open to you and all that sort of stuff. Will your father give you a snake? No, he's going to give you bread. That's what you really need, you know. And then the parables about the unjust judge and the importunate widow and the, and the friend at midnight. But also the model of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If Jesus was like Abraham, he's going to the cross. He wouldn't have said a mumbling word. Mm-hmm. But he said, Father, your will be done. But please take this cup from me if you can. He was honest. So to be say, this is what I need, but ultimately I'm going to submit to what you want, but this is what I need. He was honest about that. He modeled the kind of prayer he taught. For me, Jesus is a model. 
that lament prayer is not about just throwing your fist in God's face and shaking your hand at God or something like that. It's about saying, God, this is what I need. And you can be as honest with that, as um, abrasive as you want to be. The psalmist mm -hmm. can be abrasive, but you're doing it in the service of keeping the relationship. And in fact, of deepening the relationship. So after I began praying lament, not only did it, was my relation to God restored, because I had stopped praying for a number of months, it turned out. I didn't realize it till I started praying lament. So I've not prayed for months, mm. because why would you pray to the one that you felt was treating you badly? Yeah. But once you can start talking to God and saying, why are you treating me badly? Suddenly you realize God is willing to listen to me say that. God's not treating me badly at all. This is amazing that God would, would hear my prayers. And my relationship to God has been significantly deepened mm -hmm. in comparison to the one I had prior to lament. So that the emotional side of it has been very strong now mm -hmm. in a way that I was more abstract in the way I would think about God. You can get me to cry a lot more easily right now than I used mm -hmm. to before. <laughs> the emotions are closer to the surface because, yeah. my God, I love this one. He is the creator and redeemer of the world and he died for me. I'll do anything for him. I don't think I could state it quite that passionately before lament. Mm -hmm. I can state it that way now. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, Richard... Um, your book, again, is called Abraham's Silence, The Binding of Isaac, The Suffering of Job, and How to Talk Back to God. It's a book on prayer and intimacy with God, and it's a gift. Uh, thank you for it. How can people find you if they want to connect with you? I know you, you teach and you've written other books. Are you... Um, are you active anywhere online on social media at all? I, I'm active. I, I do Facebook posts, professional, not personal, really. Um, um, everything gets linked to Twitter, but I don't do anything consciously there. It just you know reflects other things I'm doing. But I do have a website, um, jrichardmiddleton.com. Great. And you can, if you go to the menu, you can find one called Books. You can click on that and you see all the books I've done with links. Mm -hmm. You can, on the menu, you can go to articles and you can get a PDF of just about everything I've written. One mm -hmm. or two, are, the, the publisher doesn't want me to put it there, but most you can find them. Mm -hmm. And I do try to blog every once in a while, but I've really fallen out of it. I've, I'm, do, I'm doing too much writing right now. I'm writing books and articles and I don't have time to do blogging right now. Yeah. So the last <laughs> blog there is quite old. <laughs> okay. Well, are you working on anything, a, a, a new book at the, at the moment? So I'm doing a book right now on First Samuel. It's called Portrait of a Disgruntled Prophet, mm. Samuel's Resistance to God and the Undoing of Saul. Oh, man. It, it comes <clears throat> from teaching this material for 25 years where I have a perspective that is not, not unique. A few other Samuel scholars who are, you know, Orthodox Christians have shared this, but most, most people read Samuel is a good guy, Saul is the bad guy. No, it's mm -hmm. much more complicated. Mm. Samuel is a stiff-backed authoritarian prophet who doesn't want to allow a monarchy, even though God wants a monarchy, and wants to keep Saul, who God has chosen to be the first king, under his thumb. Mm. And he's the one who destroys Saul's ability to lead because he is protecting his turf. And that's the perspective. It's a close, careful reading of the text. Come on. Uh, it's Jeez. coming up from Erdman's probably in about a year or so. Great, I'm, I'm Richard. A third of the way through it. Will this you come like back on and so chat much... about it? 
Yeah, sure, yeah. So the, the thrust so of that, like just that. So I'm doing exegetical work, but the yeah. thrust is not the biblical studies. The thrust is, I want us to reflect on the ethics of leadership yeah. and power and mentoring in our day when so many leaders, both in the church and in the world, are abusing their power. Wow. And so many leaders are afraid of the next generation. Instead of mentoring them to take over our positions, we protect our turf from them. Mm. And I think that if you model God's generosity, you got to be a leader of a different kind. And Samuel messed it up real bad. He's not just a bad guy. He's a complex character, and I show how complex he is. Mm -hmm. And Saul does go off the deep end by the end, yes. And we know David does too. I don't get into that. I stop at chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. Mm-hmm. I'm pre-ordering. I know. It just it takes uh, it turns so much on on uh, on its head. Uh, what I assume yeah. about what's going on there uh, in the mm. first part of First Samuel. Wow. Well, and that that's super relevant for us as well. Uh, we coach and train leaders um, and and okay. try to help them root uh, their their lives and their leadership in the love of God. And so that that's a topic near and dear to our heart. We'll definitely have you back to talk about that. Good, Richard. Thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, brothers and my sister. Uh, y'all, Richard was speaking my love mm. language. Like talking about the Bible or Jesus or what? What's no, his accent. Language? I just loved his accent. We didn't oh, even talk yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he could say anything. Hey, I didn't. Where is he uh, from? I was going to guess. Uh, I believe. But I, but I didn't want to. I believe that South was a African? Jamaican accent. Jamaican. Jamaican. Oh, he, he kept saying afterwards, I did ask him about uh, the teacher that he knew in Fort Wayne because I lived in Fort Wayne for many years. And it turns out uh, we took classes with the same professors um, at the same uh, school. But uh, they, those guys did a lot of stuff in Jamaica. So I think that is a Jamaican accent. <laughs> no, I, uh, he went to the university, uh, a university in Amsterdam, free university. Of Amsterdam, isn't that nice? They get <laughs> they get it free there. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that's probably what that means. Yeah, probably. And then uh, <laughs> no money. Who knows what country Amsterdam is in? Yeah, I mean, yeah. What state? What state is that in? Yeah. <laughs> so it's probably. Nice. Um, I was just guessing. It was sort of a euro. It was. It was a. It was a euro accent, like a yeah. like a general European currency accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, no. He was speaking my love language in terms of. Anyway. Uh, in terms of creative readings of the in the Old Testament that provoke yeah. that provoke and call us into like creative faithfulness, I, I when I read Jewish scholars, both ancient and today, this is what they do. This yeah. is how they read their book. Um, and if you watch how the New Testament authors read the old what we call the Old Testament, this is how they do it. Right. This is how they do it. And yeah. and I think I think that for too long I kind of I was taught to read the Old Testament as like dissecting a fetal pig, and I think that uh, <laughs> the way that Richard is reading it and the way that Jewish yeah. scholars read it is so much more life giving to me. Do you guys agree? Yeah. Do you guys find that too? Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is why you're good friends with my husband. This is why I should buy <laughs> his book as like a Valentine's Day gift for my husband because uh, he would totally He'd love it. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. He yep. would. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is like, I, I think there, it does take some, I don't know, it takes some courage to kind of lean into that because it feels wrong in some ways, right? Like yeah. it, it, initially it sort of feels like, oh, I can't, I can't read it like this. Like that's, you know, I'd be going against, you know, hundreds of years of tradition or I'd be, you know, um, 
it feels like we're going to go astray or, you know what I mean? Like go, go somewhere wrong. But I think, mm-hmm. I think you're right that it's, um, it's encouraging to realize that actually a very, an, a much older way and a much more traditional way of reading the scriptures was like this. It was sort of wrestling with them. It was, it was creatively trying to say, well, like, what is, what is God saying to us through this? Mm-hmm. Um, rather than sort of assuming that things are, things are settled Well, and I feel like it makes more sense, honestly, right? All of our presuppositions that we bring to the table because it's been Mm -hmm. taught this way for hundreds of years, if we could somehow push that aside and hear what he's saying in this, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, yeah, that actually, it makes sense that Ishmael would have been like his love, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, you forget about that. Yeah, because we've heard it for so much that we forget or we don't put, we don't bring to the table like our own humanity of like, Mm -hmm. yeah, if that was my kid. I don't know. I don't know. Just yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. 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 And even that, even that reading, that new reading he just teased about Samuel, Samuel being the problem <laughs> in Israel, not right? Saul. It's just like, oh, I never even thought of that. Let's never go. even occurred to me that right. that Let's. could be part of the issue there. Yeah. I'm going to read now that I'm book. starting to think about those scenes. I'm starting to think, oh, okay. By the way, this like, is, this is kind of what's happening with uh, like the superhero movies. You know, like, um, so in the 1980s, oh, yeah, 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 totally. in the 1980s, Superman was just good. Like, right. all the Virtuous. time. Virtuous yeah. all yeah. the time, right? But now An you have An uncomplicated these, character. Right. And the villains were just bad. They're just yeah. evil, bad. But now you've got, like, the movie Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, mm-hmm. where you see a man with mental health issues mm-hmm. who's betrayed and hurt and wounded by mm-hmm. society. And he turns towards mm-hmm. violence for a sense of, like, power and agency, and he actually gets a claim now that he's a bad guy, and it, how that fills, like, this hole, this vacuum in his life. So, like, we've yeah. got, like, this story we know, the Joker, and then we turn it upside down, and you end up, and you, we see this in TV shows, too, where you end up disliking mm-hmm. the hero or yeah. rooting for the villain, Right, it mm-hmm. kind of turns things inside out a bit, and I feel like that's a little bit what Richard's doing here in his readings. Yeah. And yeah. I've got to say that this isn't novel, meaning this is what Jewish scholars have done for a long time with their mm-hmm. book. And yeah. uh, Richard's just bringing that perhaps into a yeah. more Christian audience. Yeah, yeah. There's even not- whole TV shows that are like the 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 superheroes are the bad guys. I'm thinking of like the I think it's called The Boys. Uh, on Amazon, where it's just like, yeah, it's just like there's a mm-hmm. there's a a league of superheroes that's like in in cahoots with like all these anyway, and they're bad guys. They really are bad guys, but everybody thinks they're great. Um, but you see the you see behind the scenes, and you realize, oh yeah, these guys are these guys are very troubled. Yeah. I'm not gonna anyway. lie. When you said that first, Matt, about like this reminds me of superheroes. I'm like, oh, here comes a joke, and then it was like. Oh. It wasn't, the, it wasn't a show. It was a okay. real thing, Christy. Yeah, I'm so sorry I judged you. Look at you. you. Oh, gosh. Well, this is actually going to keep you on your toes even more now, Christy, because you, right. you won't ready. know. I was wait, ready. wait, wait, wait. Is this an analogy that I'm not putting together? Well, I almost brought, I almost, oh, you man. mentioned your husband, why I'm such good friends with your husband. And I was thinking yeah. about him. I was thinking about him the other day. We actually had a phone call we were supposed to connect on, and then he was probably in uh, Uganda or Antarctica or wherever he was. But... Um, <laughs> I was, putting, I, I was putting together a new Spotify playlist for when I go hiking, and uh, I put Eminem on there. Yes, which, you did. So Paul, <laughs> Paul, What's that have to do with Paul? Paul 
loves Eminem. And Paul, actually, people don't know this, but now they will. Uh, Paul <laughs> likes to rap. And for he's my, a good rapper. He's a good rapper. And for my 30th birthday, mm-hmm. this was, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, he wrote, <laughs> he wrote a rap all about my life and performed it in front of the church I pastored at. And it, it was, was full of PG-13 inside jokes. <laughs> and I remember, I, it's hard to embarrass me. It's really hard to embarrass me because I do such a good job of doing it myself. But um, but anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, but I, 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 put, I put Eminem on there, I put the cranberries on there, I put the peanuts on there for when I go hiking. I call it my trail mix. Oh, my gosh. You did it. You did it. (laughs) You even worked in Paul. I was like, no way. No, we're not having a joke this time. (laughs) Got it. Oh, listeners. There you have it. It's us. This is us. Yeah, my, my trailer. I was gonna. I was about to say. Uh, I've never heard of the Peanuts. I know the Cranberries. You know the, the band from the '90s. But the Peanuts? Isn't that a comic strip with a dog? I I think it's a band. I think there's a band called the Peanuts. The, I mean, Although you would assume listeners, there would be. The whole Eminem Paul rapping thing that was all real. That it's was all, true. That's a real thing. I that's, rap. That's why. I put a joke. It was a dirty bomb. I put like a. I put like a joke inside of a a nice little story. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Didn't see it coming. Well, All right. oh, man. well, until next, until the next dad joke. Till the next Go dad joke. See you next week, mix. everybody. <laughs> yep. <laughs>Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 